Welcome to Nefarious New York. I'm Allison. And I'm Meredith. <laughs> and Allison takes vitamins. <laughs> I take vitamins. Let's hope, let's pray that they don't make me sick. I can't do it. They make me sick. I know it's sick. total, not oxymoron, but that vitamins would make you sick, but... Well, I think because you have to make sure you're taking them on a full stomach, and then you have to well, make sure that you're right. not taking not doing that. too many at one time. Well, we'll see. Well, I'll let you know how it goes. And maybe Persona wants to be our sponsors because mm-hmm. that's what I'm doing. Thanks to Kelly Ripa. So. Okay. Thanks, Kel. We'll see. All right. Well, if you start yickety yakking, give me a call. <laughs> if you start yickety yakking, don't come and nacking. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, boy. Oh, Lordy. It's Friday. It's Friday before holiday. Everyone's home today already. Yeah. Almost everyone. I'm sorry. Sorry. Students. My students are all home today. Yes. And I was driving in and actually some of them were not. I saw a couple of schools open. So I was surprised. But I also Mm. don't remember getting off the Friday before. Ever. I think it always depended on like snow days, right? If you didn't use up your snow days, they gave you a little extra boost. Yeah. Speaking of snow days, uh, let's get into the next case. (laughs) Um, Zero transition relevance (laughs) there, but okay. Maris, start us off. Okay. So Kathleen and James Pearson were married in 1965, only three years after they graduated from high school which back then was a little bit more common. Um, They had three children and lived on Long Island, New York. And James Jr. was born in 1966. And then they had a daughter, Cheryl, who was born in 1969. And another daughter, Joanne, who was born in 1977. So James supported his family as an electrician and by installing cable television boxes on the side. Unfortunately, Kathleen, his wife, was diagnosed with terminal kidney disease. And now Kathleen is spending most of her time in the hospital fighting for her life with daily dialysis, uh, two kidney transplants. That's, you know, that's a major toll on your health. Cheryl. Absolutely. So Cheryl, their middle child, is about 10 years old at this time. And she assumes the mom role and helps out as much as she can with the cooking and cleaning and kind of takes on that role for her mom. She also helped out taking care of Joanne, who was a a baby at the time, right? Because there's a little bit of an age difference there. Right. Joanne's like two, three years old at this point. Okay. So Kathleen's in the hospital a ton. And when Cheryl's around 11 years old, her father started an inappropriate relationship with her, a little bit of inappropriate touching. And then that's going to progress pretty quickly to sexual intercourse. Oh, God. So Cheryl later said, it would be before we went to the hospital to see her on her deathbed. It would be when we got home from seeing her. It was just such torment. Okay, so now obviously we'll find out a little bit more about this, but is it possible that because the wife is sick, he's losing it a little bit. There's no excuse for it. I'm sorry. So let's just move on. Cheryl attended Newfield High School, where she was a cheerleader. And it was there that she met Rob Cuccio. 
Cheryl was not allowed to have boyfriends. Her father, James, was very possessive and strict, which you do see in some of these incest cases. He used to tell her that he knew people and had them watching her, so she better not do anything wrong. So when Cheryl is around 15 years old, her mother sadly passes away. Mm -hmm. And at this point, Cheryl thinks maybe that's it. The abuse will stop, but it didn't stop. According to Cheryl, she was being raped daily and sometimes three times a day. Oh, God. In, yeah. How do In you her book, do Incest, that? Murder, and a Miracle, she says of a usual encounter with her father, he would call her, Cheryl, get in here, he called from his bedroom, get in here now. When his voice took on that tone, you did what he said or paid the consequences. There was no question what he wanted. His nasty cigarette breath nauseated me as he grinned at me, exposing stained yellow teeth. He came down on me with the full weight of his 300-pound body, crushing me as always. I'd done the only thing I could. I covered my face with a pillow so I didn't have to smell his breath, shut my eyes, and let my mind take me somewhere else. That is nauseating. It's nauseating to hear, never mind experience. And it's your father. Yeah. Oh. God. So that same year that her mother died, and I saw reports that she died on February 13th. So this would be February 14th. So this would literally be the day after, but don't hold me to that. But the same year anyway, Cheryl bought Rob a Valentine's card. When her father brought her to school on Valentine's Day, he asked her if she got anyone a Valentine's Day card, and Cheryl lied and said no. When she got out of the car, the card fell out of a book and her father saw it. So this enraged him and he made her get back in the car for a beating. People witnessed him beating her in the school parking lot and did nothing. She was so badly beaten that she couldn't return to school for a week. It was a different time back then, right? So people did not want to get involved. It was looked the other way, mind your own business. Right. And... Spanking and things like that were a bit more common then. So I don't necessarily know that that would happen today, although you do see it happen today. Oh, you definitely do. So obviously, like anyone, Cheryl wanted to run away and leave. But the more time she spent away from her father, the more time she spent with Rob or at after school things, the more he threatened to move on to Joanne, who was about seven or eight at the time. (gasps) If Cheryl was going to leave him, he had threatened that he would just start abusing Joanne. So it's not bad enough that your disgusting behavior is affecting her. Now you're going to guilt her into staying. Right. Cheryl wrote at this time, imagine wishing you were dead, but holding on patiently by a thread that is beginning to shred more and more every single minute you stay in the house at 293 Magnolia Drive, holding on because you're afraid for your sister that might be left with a monster If I decided to die, how would I be able to rest in peace, knowing that my sister, that means the world to me, is going through hell because of my leaving? Imagine driving with your father, the man you're supposed to trust, who is touching you while driving, and you're hoping nobody can see you, and you're praying you crash and die. Uh, That is horrifying to me. Just horrifying. Absolutely disgusting. So around this time... Cheryl reads a newspaper article about Beverly Wallace. And according to the New York Times article from September 13th, 1986, in January 1985, John Wallace was killed when a gunman paid by Mrs. Wallace 
shot him eight times with a 22 caliber handgun in the couple's driveway. Mrs. Wallace called the Suffolk County Police to report the shooting. The article also read, and this part probably grabbed Cheryl's attention, Beverly, who admitted having hired the assassin who killed her husband, was spared prison by a judge who called the husband an animal whose treatment of his wife and three daughters had been inhumane. It was reported that he beat all of them. He forced Beverly to have sex with him and other members of his motorcycle gang while he watched. He was next going to force her into prostitution, and she was sentenced to five years probation. So Cheryl is seeing this and thinking, if the abuse is bad enough, you don't have to go to jail, you just get probation. Right. Not all of these things work out in the same way. It's not always the same jury, but she's a child, right? So she's a young person, and this is what she is is surmising. Trapped in a horrific situation. Absolutely. Like, really trapped. She stays and is getting abused. She leaves and her sister's getting abused. She dies and her sister is going to get abused. Right. The only solution. The only solution at this point for her, I would think, would be to kill him. But let's see what happens. Also, we don't necessarily know at this point that the abuse is not happening to her sister. Correct. You know, he's saying it's not. However, it could be. Cheryl thought about the freedom that having her father dead would give her, basically, obviously, the relief from the abuse and not having to worry about Joanne. So one day in class, Cheryl's talking about Beverly's case, just in the class, kind of talking about the current news, and Mm -hmm. she was talking to a boy, Sean Pika. Then she kind of just said, possibly as a rhetorical question, wow, who would be crazy enough to be hired to kill someone? And she says, Sean looked her straight in the eye and said, I would if the money was right. Sean says he said, people will do anything for money. Either way, he kind of made it seem like... Well, that's two different statements. He could be bought. See, to me, that's not. To me, if he said, I would if the money was right, he's saying, I would do it. In what he's saying, he said, he would say, well, people would do anything for money. He's not saying, I would. So obviously, there's two different sides here, which I think will probably come into play later. But there is a big difference there. Either way. I disagree with you there. Either way, based on those two scenarios, she then said, how much would you ask to do it? And he said $1,000. Okay, that's a different story. So the solution now seems within her grasp for just $1,000, which is a lot of money to a kid. But for just $1,000, there's no more beatings, no more sexual assaults, no more verbal abuse, and most importantly, her little sister would be safe. So Cheryl sets the wheels in motion for this to happen. Right. And although that is not a huge amount of money, back then, $1,000 was worth more, right? I'm sure if we look up what the equivalent is, but it's still a possible doable thing to be able to get up a thousand dollars it is i i'm trying to think back right and i'll look it up thousand dollars in 1986 is equivalent in purchasing power to about twenty four hundred dollars today it's not so that much one of my kids had to come up with twenty four hundred dollars it would be hard but totally not out of the realm of yeah you're not you're not saying fifty thousand dollars or it's a doable amount of money to come up with it's hard but it's 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 doable The first attempt was before Christmas. According to the Daily News, Sean was to throw a rock through the window of the Pearson home on Magnolia Street. 
Cheryl was to awaken her father to go outside to check for a burglar, and then Pika would stab and kill him. Sources said the plan failed when the father refused to get out of bed. <laughs> that plan sounds like a failure. I'm glad they didn't try this plan because if he's a 300-pound grown man taking on a 15, 16-year-old kid that's trying to stab him to death, I see that not ending well. Well, on February 5th, 1986, around 6 a.m., Sean hid behind a tree near the Pearson home and he waited until James came out of the house. He shot James Pearson five times in the head and chest from about 10 feet away, and he left him dead in his driveway. Now, the plan was for Cheryl to wait 10 minutes before calling the police, so Sean had time to get away. Okay, where did he get a gun? New York City. (sighs) All right. Well, Cheryl called her boyfriend Rob and told him that her father was dead, that something happened to him in the driveway. Rob rushed over to be with Cheryl, and in all of the chaos, Cheryl took money out of the family safe, and she had Rob give Sean $400 and promise to get him the $600 balance soon. I would think you'd want to have all the money in hand before you did that, but okay. The police are there, and they think Cheryl's acting pretty strange, considering her father, they said, was about 15 feet away from her when they got there, and she's not upset or hysterical or anything, and he's just laying there dead. The Daily News reported that she was very indifferent to detectives. She greeted them as they came into the house and even asked airily, who's wearing the nice aftershave lotion? So they're finding her very odd, her behavior. Right. Yeah, I would definitely say that's odd. At first, the police thought that it was a professional hit because of James's union activities. I guess he was in like the electrical union or something, but that he was just a member. He wasn't anything impressive there. So there would be no reason for him to be a target. They start interviewing classmates and people that knew Cheryl. And they're starting to put the pieces together here because she was asking a bunch of people for help in this situation. Wow. Not smart. So on February 13th, 1986, both Rob and Cheryl were arrested for James Pearson's murder. Sean was also arrested. Rob was charged with conspiracy and released on $5,000 bail. And Cheryl was pregnant at the time and released on $50,000 bail. There was a lot of speculation that the baby was James Pearson's. So I'm going to reiterate her father's. But a later Mm -hmm. miscarriage DNA testing proved that the baby was Rob's. Sean was held in at $100,000 bail. Obviously, it would have been repulsive if the baby was her father's, but it certainly would have helped her case. Right. This is where we find out exactly what happened. Sean told the police in his interview, I stood behind the shrubs and waited until he came out. I fired one shot and hit him. I ran up to the body and pumped in four more shots. I looked to see if he was dead. He was because he wasn't moving. And listen, Sean thinks he's helping out a friend, a classmate, to get mm-hmm. out of this horrible situation. But his account of it sounds pretty... I mean, I'm, I'm not hearing him say it, right? Right. So you don't, you're not hearing the inflection or emotion in the voice. Right. It's pretty blunt to right. the point with... Like, No emotion. That's a quote from him. I could see if that was like a news summary. Right. The choice of words. Like I ran up to the body and pumped Pumped. in four more shots. Yeah. So I'm curious to see 
what this kid was like personally. He was kind of an outcast, a loner, tinkered on cars, mostly kept to himself. That's basically all I have on him. Right. Well, Cheryl pled guilty to manslaughter. In court to determine Cheryl's sentence, her uncle, who was her mother's stepbrother, told the court that Kathleen, Cheryl's mother, knew that James was sexually abusing Cheryl, but that there was nothing she could do about it. Yeah, but there's something you could have done about it. Right. Kathleen's literally dying at the time, so there's not much she can do. She told her stepbrother that she did confront James about the abuse and that he beat her. Nice guy. Listen, I don't want to judge, but in a situation like that, if you're aware that that's happening, I'm sorry, but you're an asshole if you don't step in to do something about it. And he only came forward at her sentencing. So he didn't come forward when she got arrested, at at that point in time when she was held in jail, when she was out on bail. When he knew she could be in deep shit, he didn't come forward. He came forward at the very end of this. Right. To kind of hopefully lessen her sentence. Right. Let's let's just say the scenario was different. Let's say that his sister was not terminally ill, right? And she knew this mm-hmm. was going on and she didn't do anything. And he's saying, well, let, let the mom handle it. It's not my business. That might be a little bit more forgiving, but she's in a physical state where she physically probably can't do anything because she's dying you should step in here at this point right and she told him that she tried to confront james about it and he beat her and he still did nothing and he's beating his dying wife yeah you're a real winner so at her sentencing cheryl fainted when the judge judge sentenced her to six months in jail and five years probation which I'm going to say six months is not that long of a time. Not terrible. It's not terrible, but... Again, haven't spent a day in jail. Yeah. So I don't know. So she sentenced, like I said, to six months in jail, five years probation. Rob pled guilty and was sentenced to five years probation. So very similar to the Wallace case. But all he really did was give him the money. On January 19th, 1988, Cheryl was released from prison. Rob, her brother Jimmy, who was a supporter, and another friend picked her up in a white limo. Now, Rob and her brother Jimmy had visited her every day in jail. They picked her up in a white limo to celebrate her being released, and later that day, Rob proposed to Cheryl. They got married on October 9th, 1988. They had two daughters and are still married today. I don't blame her. I know that's horrible, but I, I do not blame her. I thought the white her. limo might be a little bit much. Yeah, but her father was an animal. So I don't, Correct. you know, I don't, uh, but I understand what you're saying. So let's talk about Sean. Sean Pico was sentenced to 24 years. He was released in 2002 after serving 16 years. While in prison, he got his GED and a bachelor's degree in organizational management. He continued working for the organization that made his degree possible while he was incarcerated, and he met his wife, Lori, and they live in Ossining, not too far from where I live. He has gone on to get a Master of Professional Studies and a Master's of Social Work. He is part of the New York State Council on Community Reentry and Reintegration and is on the board of directors of Sing Sing Prison Museum. 
He's also a founding member of the National Alliance for Higher Education in Prison and the New York State Consortium for Higher Education in Prison. Very interesting. So he completely turned his life around. But interestingly, in interviews, does not say he regrets it because he was her only way out of this situation. Right. But what most people will say, I'm playing devil's advocate here, is that two wrongs don't make a right. Agreed. And you can't just go killing people. I, I'm not saying I agree or disagree with it. He's just saying the sacrifice of his time was worth it to save her. Right. Which I, is very nice of him because you would think also that he would be angry with her because she's the reason why. But again, he made the decision to do this. Mm -hmm. So he has to pay the consequences. Do I think the guy had it coming? Yes, I do. Well, these kinds of cases are, are difficult, right? Because you try not to judge and you try to stay, but this guy had no redeeming qualities. I mean, he's, he's beating the crap of his terminally ill wife. He's raping and threatening his daughter and beating his daughter. He also beat Cheryl's older brother, and that's why he moved out. So at 19, he wasn't even living at home. Right. And when Cheryl would kind of show signs of the physical abuse, she never told him about the sexual abuse, but the physical abuse, he was kind of like, you're going to have to just go through it like I did and, and, you know, hang on until you can get out of there. It's too bad she couldn't go live with the brother. You can't leave Joanne. That's the predicament. Yeah. That's right. I'm sorry. Right. That's the predicament. Take her with you. And you don't know if she had gone to report this. Also, what would have happened? Would they have taken her away and left Joanne with him? Right. You just don't know. Right. And that is not a situation that is fair to a child. Um, You had kind of alluded to whether or not Joanne was being abused. For many, many years, Joanne was against her sister because she did not believe the abuse allegations and she did not believe that her father would do something like that. So I'm taking that. And this is for many years, even as an adult, she didn't Mm. believe it. And then they started to come back together and they are together now, sisters. It took a very long time for Joanne to understand that that actually did happen. So I'm taking that as Joanne was not, she was spared the abuse. Yeah, well, thank God. And you have to look at this in two situations, right? Because, again, you can't judge whether she told somebody, whether she didn't, whether she makes it up or whether she doesn't. An adult going through this is hard enough. Now, put yourself in a child's shoes. Mm -hmm. That's a lot to carry. And losing your mother, you fear for your sister, you're trying to protect your sister, and you're trying to protect yourself. And you're a teenager. And I think it was one year after her mother passed away that they were arrested. So this all happened rapidly. You know, it's not right. like her mother died seven years ago. Like her mother just passed away. She's getting raped and abused by her father. And Ugh. let's not for- forget that she's pregnant thinking it's her father's. R- now right. everyone's going to know. Like this is all piling on her. Yeah, that's horrible. So it's a lot. It's horrible and it's disgusting. And nobody deserves that. And so, sorry, he got what was coming to him. They wrote a book, Cheryl and Rob wrote a book together, and I had mentioned it in there. A lot of the book is dedicated to Rob had a heart attack and was basically dead. And Cheryl was hysterical, begging with them 
begging them to try to revive him one last time. And they did. And he came back. So wow. it's just another, another struggle that they kind of overcame together. But yeah, if you go on her Facebook page, she does a lot of posts about like survivors of incest and a lot of, of stuff about that. But you can also see pictures of just how beautiful her family is. Yeah. And Rob stuck by her. I'm curious, does she have a relationship with Sean? They kept in touch while they were both first in jail. Um, they wrote letters back and forth, back and forth. And then I'm not sure which one of them might have been Sean at one point was like, I can't do this anymore. I have to now. I have a lot of time I've got to face in here and you're you don't. So we can't keep in touch. Like It's not going to be good for me. I need to move on and focus on getting through my time. Mm. All right. We'll be back in a week. And Mare, you could sing us out on this one. I okay. feel like it had a nice ending. I, f I think it did. Nefarious New York. <laughs>